0: push yourself to the limits and you're trying to get the most out of your body in whatever sport it is that you do, you guys know that uh, we frequently come across the burn, right? And for those of us that understand physiology, we know that that's just the lactic acid building up, basically trying to get us to pump the brakes on our bodies and tell us to slow down. Well, I've got something for you here that I think you might be interested in. It's called topical edge and it's a cream that you would use to put on your legs that would help buffer that lactic acid. In days previous, we've had to ingest things like bacon soda to use that base to neutralize the acid, the lactic acid, to be able to do the same thing. But now it's available in a cream that we can put on our legs. And this product is absolutely fantastic. I use it all the time and I swear by it. So if you're interested in it, if you want to give it a shot, I've got a code for you. Go to topicaledge.com. Type in utmost performance, all one word at the discount code and go ahead and get 20% off and get that puppy shipped to you and try it out. I'd love to hear what you guys think and how it's working out for you. Without further ado, here we go. Thank you for tuning in to the a Champions Mind podcast. Today I've got two very special guests. I've got Troy Wells and Cricket Lewis. And so Troy is a professional cyclist. He is a professional mountain bike and cyclocross rider riding for Team Cliff Bar. And Cricket Lewis is his longtime girlfriend, and she is a former elite gymnast and mountain biker as well. So Troy and Cricket, thank you guys so much for being on.
1: Yeah, thanks for having us, Mario.
0: Yeah, hi, Mario. Great talking to you. Awesome. So let's just jump right in. I mean, I kind of mentioned kind of what you guys do for a living here, and I just think it's really cool. Just we'll jump into a little bit more of y'all's story as it kind of meshes together, but What does life look like for the two of you guys?
1: I would say basically living the dream in Durango, Colorado, just getting to be in really a place that I feel like I'm on vacation every time I come home from like different parts of the U.S. and just getting to race my bike and, like I said, just living a dream really for me.
2: (laughs) Yeah, and me as well. I took a chance moving here knowing nobody. And it it's turned out to be very successful, not only in my racing career, but also in my professional career as in marketing, which you wouldn't necessarily think of. But I always say, living in paradise and loving every minute.
0: Awesome. Let's start with you, Cricket. I mean, so you moved over without knowing anybody. It is so? Did you meet Troy? Did y'all meet in Durango once you got here? Or
2: yeah, that's actually pretty funny. I didn't know it at the time, but he actually moved me into Elko Broussard's condo, and she was a world champion downhiller and was just in the cycling community. And so she had called some friends, and it turned out to be Troy who moved me in.
1: She didn't know that for like five years, though, probably.
2: No, I had no idea that it was (laughs) actually him. So we mostly just kind of hung out, you know, riding, and Troy was traveling a ton. And I remember saying, man, that guy was really fun. I'm bummed that he moved back to New York. And it turns out he moved back to Durango, or he never left. I'm not
1: sure. Yeah, I was in New York for like three months after college, finished back home.
2: And so I um, started coaching an athletic training group, and somehow our schedules just kind of aligned from going to similar races and um, being at the airport at the same time and in the gym and on the trails at the same time. So really, our lives just kind of came together probably five years after he moved me in to my condo.
0: Huh. Awesome. And what was the initial, so you said that you just kind of took a chance, right? Like, what was the initial moving out to Durango? Was it, I mean, I don't know that a lot of people that listen to this podcast know, but was it because of the mountain biking out there that you just said, hey, I'm going out here because this is where I need to be? Or was it something else?
2: Yeah, it was primarily that I... um early age, probably age seven, when I wanted a college scholarship in gymnastics. And then you know at 25, I'm like, I'm going to be working at an ad agency and teaching step aerobics. And so I had a goal. And it was interesting. One of my creative directors said, well, where are you going to be when you're 35? And I said, oh, gosh, I don't know. I hadn't planned that far out. And so that kind of came together when I was racing mountain bikes and I was ready to, to move on from Dallas. I had lived in Texas for about 12 years after living in Chicago. And so I decided I was going to just take a year off and travel the country and race my bike. And I ended up coming up with five different places that I could potentially move to. And Durango, Colorado was one of them. And I would say not only for the mountain biking, because we do have hundreds of miles of trails in town and throughout the San Juans and on over to Telluride. But also it reminded me a bit of where I grew up in Wisconsin in that it had the government here and regional hospitals. And it was really a hub. So you had this kind of paradise that also had
1: a A lot of... A very small hub.
2: A very small (laughs) hub. But it had you know a lot of doctors and lawyers and federal buildings here and a college. So it was really just a great community. And I always said if I moved somewhere, I wasn't going to have to commute to work for more than a mile. And true enough, I work about a mile from where I live. So, yeah, I decided at that age I was going to pick up and give it a shot. And I thought, why not try Durango? Yeah.
0: Scary at first or what? What was the, What were the emotions that went along with that move?
2: You know, it was interesting because I remember telling my parents, and they're like, wait, you're not going back to your job. You have a really good job. And I thought, <laughs> I thought well, I can always go back. So, no, I wasn't scared, but I do remember waking up and the weather was horrible. And I thought, what on earth did you do? But quickly after, I think two days later, I drove up to the resort here and made a few friends and ended up getting a a design job at the resort. And so I instantly had a couple friends after the first few days I was here.
0: Oh, man. Yeah, that's nice. I'm sure that took some of the pressure of just being away from home away. So, yeah, Troy, from New York originally, right? You're far from New York. How'd you end up uh, out here in Durango as well?
1: It's funny. I... (laughs) When I finished high school, I went to a school in upstate New York to run, and I got injured maybe. I was always injured high school and first semester of college running. So when I got her, I started riding my bike again, and it was up towards Canada, Plattsburgh, New York, which is right by the border. And I'm like, if I'm going to ride my bike, there's no way that I can come back to school the following semester here. So it was so deep into the fall semester, I ended up going to community college back by where I grew up for about a year. And then even though I went to that community college, I always knew I would eventually come to Durango. It was kind of a plan in the back of my mind. Though so Because my brother had been here for maybe since 96, so I had come out on a few different occasions here and there over the course of a couple of years. So I kind of knew where I wanted to be once I started to ride again.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. Interesting. So basically kind of in a holding pattern, uh, but, but again, just having that vision of like, at some point this is going to be where I'm going to be. It's not right now, but it will be at some point here in the future.
1: Exactly. And then I feel like once you get here, you're kind of, it's hard to find a reason. Like I continue to find more reasons to stay. Yeah. Like <laughs> really come up with many to leave. So I feel like once you're here, you're kind of stuck. That, <laughs> in, that's it. In, a, in a really good way. Not like you know stuck like in a jail cell. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Exactly. No. It sounds like it, I mean you guys are really excited. You guys uh, take tremendous pride talking about Durango. So it sounds like you guys are. Definitely, you're you're definitely living where you want to live and you're definitely living life on your terms and the way you want to live it. And I think this is huge for anybody listening to the podcast. We're all passionate about something and we've all got some desires deep down that we really, really, really want to execute on. But we're waiting for that opportunity for to be able to execute on them, that perfect opportunity where, you know, the beam of light comes down and says, OK, do this now because here's your chance And I don't think that ever comes. It's more of a, Hey, you need to take action and then you figure it out. You know, you move to Durango cricket and then you figure out the people that you're going to meet on the first day you're there, first week you're there. You know, like you take action and it's amazing how when you do it, things just begin to fall into place and you really kind of get pushed into making, being very intentional and very calculated about what it is you do and really focusing on the process. I know we're talking about life here, but that also kind of plays its way into sport. And I'm going to mention him because, unfortunately, he just, he was an icon in our sport. But, you know, if there was one person that I had to think about that was exactly that, you know, it was uh, Steve Tilford. And fortunately, he passed away, you know, here recently. But, I mean, talk about a guy that, a guy that just made it work from the beginning to the end and on his terms. And everybody just respected him. And the community was really rocked by his passing because... Everybody wanted a piece of that, like what he had. And the fact of the matter is, is that we could all have it, you know? And I think both of y'all are doing it, and it's really, really cool to see. So,
1: yeah, Tilly definitely lived life to the fullest. He was definitely like a bike racer first and foremost, I feel like, in his life. Is that what he, that was definitely his passion. Yeah. Tilly, so.
2: And he would come down and race in Texas, and we'd be up, you know, racing at OKC Bellow and always run into him but you know I think the interesting thing about Tilly too is he he paid attention and and that to me is is big whether it's a butterfly that flies by you or you know a cat that's injured or whatever it might be he was always paying attention and always stopping and helping and you know as much as you think he's kind of 80s rocker I don't know he could be kind of crazy crazy guy you know he really cared and he really just paid attention and, and lived
0: every second. Man, I think that's a great point, Cricket. I had never thought about that. But in the interactions that I had with him and watching him and watching his behavior as well, I agree with you. That's like such an accurate depiction of him. You're right. He was very in tune with everything around him. And like life has all these awesome things to offer. And he was just looking to grab every single one of them, you know. And, uh yeah, that's a, that's a great point. And I, I believe his doing that, gives us a great, tremendous amount of gratitude, which then allows you to ride your bike as long as he did. Like, you know, cause it's just, every day is just a privilege to be able to do that. And so, yeah, so he'll, he'll definitely be missing. I know that both of you guys probably knew him on a much closer level than I, because you both were professional and you both are in the mountain bike scene and did all that. So, but yeah, transitioning out uh, of that, So, Troy, you had a little bit of a running background. Is that what you did before you went professional with cycling? Was running?
1: Well, so I raced BMX as a kid up until about 11 or 10 or 11. Then I raced mountain bikes a little bit. And then in middle school and high school, I was a runner. Yeah, pretty much.
2: He does? All
1: three seasons. Now I hate running.
2: Yeah, he doesn't like to admit he was a runner, but if you. You can see him run. It's like effortless. And Mario, I know you are a runner, so I, I I totally appreciate those that really can run.
1: I don't know. It's effortless now because I don't go hard.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's right.
1: Even if you're running at a hundred and ten heart rate.
2: But I think it also goes to your strengths and cyclocross and. You
1: know. well, yeah, sometimes. But I definitely I had the running bug. I would say from middle school through one semester at college, so.
0: Yeah, I think you and I have a different history with running because I, so I ran for more than three years. I ran for probably, like, 10, I think. I don't know. Yeah. I, I haven't added it up in a while, but I ran for a really long time, but I actually got out of the game. I got out of running because I hadn't been injured. I hadn't suffered the catastrophic, like,
1: stress man. fracture,
0: you know? And so I was like,
1: I was, like, I was like, man, stress was- fractures. Bad.
0: Yeah, and I was like, you know what? I'm counting my blessings, man. I'm out, you know, and that's when I picked up the bike, like less impact. But there's so many people that come to cycling from the injury, just prone running, yeah. and then they're like, man, I just can't run anymore. So they go to cycling because that's how they can stay healthy. I was doing it because I hadn't been injured, and I was like, I don't want, you know, I don't, I, the injury is coming at some point because running is just crazy hard on your body. So I just decided to get out.
1: Yeah, like I said, I think I had one one stress fracture and a handful of stents with shin splints that just wouldn't go, they'd come and go, but anyway.
0: Now that I'm thinking about it, maybe you were faster than me, maybe that's why. Maybe I wasn't injured because I was being too conservative.
1: <laughs> I, I had bad form, that's why I was injured a bunch. <laughs>
0: Yeah, who knows? The point of the matter is, you hate running, and so do I right now, and I don't want to do it either. And there was an off season there where I bought some running shoes, and I told myself I'm going to run right now. And actually, those are my those are my shoes that I wear with my nice jeans now because they're so clean that I can do that, you know, (laughs) because they didn't get much use.
1: I I know I got my first warmer running shoes this year, mainly to deal with taking the puppy around the block and go on walks with the dog. There you go.
0: They've got their purpose, right?
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: So, Cricket, you, uh, on the other hand, so you were also a professional mountain biker, but you came from a little bit different background. You came from a gymnastics background. So can you talk to us a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I was a gymnast at the University of Illinois in Chicago, and I went to school for five years. And my fifth year, I got a mountain bike. And, you know, we thought we were pretty cool riding the bike path in Chicago. And next thing I know, I'm racing. And it was really good because in gymnastics, you're in the gym four hours a day, six days a week. So I'm like, now what am I going to do? Like, that's a lot of time. And I really enjoy just mountain biking and kind of the freedom of it all, the testing limits. And I was scared here and there. <laughs> I think that was good for me because I like living outside my comfort zone. And it was very much like gymnastics. I mean, in gymnastics, you know you're going down at least once a week, if not more. So you're kind of always pushing the limit there. And so that was very comfortable to me. I think I struggled more with, you know, the cardio and the endurance because I was in track and field, but short distance. And in gymnastics, it's very much power and explosiveness. So you have a ton of, of muscular endurance, but not a whole lot of cardio. So I don't know. I jumped in a race pretty soon after I got my mountain bike and i remember the first race i did in texas actually was in Warda, and my race was one 10 mile lap and the day before i think i did three laps because it was so much fun and i was racing back in the 90s and oh goodness some nike white tennis shoes and 80s t-shirt and i don't even think <laughs> we i don't even think we had spandex back then so yeah i just kind of found this community in in cycling and Living in Texas was very different from, you know, the Midwest or or even Colorado. There are so many people, but it's very mainstream and there's not a lot of, I don't know, adventure, outdoor adventure. So I really enjoyed kind of the community I met and the people I was able to ride and race with there. And so I really credit Texas for keeping me in mountain biking. And I did some road cycling, too, mainly because the community and, man, they have the best races they put on some really, really good races. So you always had, you know, something to go to, a fun event every weekend, something to look forward to, something to plan for. And I got pretty fast. Are you fast. a planner? <laughs> yeah, I'm a planner. But I got pretty fast fully really because, you know, you have to go to all these races. Of course you're going to be fast. And then you have all these awesome group rides to go on. And before you know it, you, you can move it pretty fast. So that yeah. was your transition. But a lot of it was, you know, gymnastics, you don't have a choice, you're done. And even to take it through college is a pretty long time to be a gymnast. So that was the other thing I liked on about cycling is it was going to be over on my terms.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's something you can do for a long time. That's one of the things that I kind of I'm thankful for the fact that I can't shoot hoops, I couldn't hit a baseball very, you know, as well as some of the other guys and stuff. And I got cut from teams and everything. And I landed in track and field and as a freshman in high school and it was like, all right, but the older I got, the more I realized like these guys, there's not very many pickup games going on in my city that I currently live in right now. So if you were a professional basketball player, if you were a collegiate basketball player, like you're going to have to find something to do you know, and there's not leagues for you and there's not this or that. So you're right. I mean, you get to a point where it's really hard to continue in that lifestyle and that sport. And with us with cycling, man, it's you're right. I mean, the sky's the limit. You know, we've got people doing it that are really, really old and maybe not as fast as they used to be. But that's not the point. The point is just having fun, right? The point is, is getting out on a trail and just experiencing nature and just getting out there. But cricket, I wanted to ask you because I'm intrigued. So every four years, you know, I'm watching the Olympics and I'm watching the gymnastics and stuff. And I'm, you know, you know, my wife loves the gymnastics. So I'm watching the gymnastics and I'm just, and can you give us a little bit of insight? Like, so you went mountain biking, but then we've got gymnastics. Like how are those different or how are they the same? Is gymnastics just on the surface from a 5,000 foot view, I'm looking at gymnastics going, dude, that sport right there is an absolute pressure cooker. I mean, is that true or is it kind of more of what you make it out to be or what would you say to that?
2: No, it's absolute pressure cooker and I always think it's funny when people are nervous at a mountain bike race or you know, to, <laughs> I'm so scared. It's like you can still mess up and win a mountain bike race. And you know, we've seen it Willow Corber used to live here and I remember her crashing and wasn't The World Cup Finals or championship, I think, and 200 yards from the line. And it's like you could still win even by crashing. And in gymnastics, one move, one mistake, you're done. And so I think if you're a gymnast, you have to love repetition and you have to love knowing you cannot make a mistake. You have to absolutely love pressure. And in mountain biking, yeah, I feel it's just freedom. You can push yourself. You can push yourself to the limits. You know, there might be a drop-in that's scary or a you know, log you have to bunny hop or something like that, and that's where some skill can be involved, but it's truly just you against the dirt. You're going as hard as you physically can, and there are some tactics and some mental aspects, I think, of mountain biking and cycling, but to me, nothing compares to you know, having 10,000 people stare at you and you're the last person up on the balance beam and your mount is death-defying. <laughs> so... You know I think there can be similarities, but when I think about a very high level, there's no way to compare the pressure a gymnast feels.
0: I was a school teacher for ten years, and I had a student that did gymnastics, and so i he he was a gymnast, and so I started talking to him about it and uh he got out of gymnastics, and he told me, you know Mr Ariabe, it just it got to the point where it wasn't fun anymore. I mean, there was just so much pressure on me. And it just, it got to be too much for me to handle. And, you know, when young people start feeling that kind of pressure, then they make more mistakes. So it's kind of one of those like, well, we're, we're putting you under pressure. That's a good thing, but it's, it's not, uh, you can crack somebody who, you know, hasn't had the time to refine their mindset as much. And so, yeah, I can imagine that being absolutely nerve wracking, but, um, yeah, thanks for sharing that cricket. So switching over to you, Troy, I have a question for you because you did, okay you've done it all, uh, in terms of cycling. So you started off BMX. Um, I should have known, man, you guys are crazy doing that stuff, you know, and, uh, just getting after it as kids, right. You kind of lose that fear of just like, go jump something, go fall down. Like you guys don't have protective equipment, like when you're riding around the neighborhood and stuff, but talk to me, road, mountain bike, and cyclocross. How are they similar? How are they different in terms of the mindset that you need to have to be successful in those? If they're even different, I don't know. You tell me you're the expert.
1: I feel like it's funny on the road. I was, I'm terrible in a group. <laughs> the Peloton is not my friend. That's for sure. I still have even hear about it because the guy in front of you can just take you out without any mistakes on your own. But then uh, between mountain biking and cyclocross, they're pretty similar, but in cyclocross, there's a lot more tactics I feel like that go on as compared to mountain biking. Mountain biking, sometimes at the very front of the race, there's tactics, but there aren't. Normally in mountain bikes, I would say the strongest guy usually wins most of the time, and on the cyclocross, it normally ends up that way, too, but I would say that there's a lot more tactics in a cross race because it's so short it's only an hour and some courses are selective, but then some courses are kind of like a dirt crit course that aren't very selective and then for road, I mean obviously tactics play a huge role on the road
0: yeah so you you were on uh so you were on t i a crep right is that correct?
1: Yeah, I was on craft for – on the road only for six months. I was on the cross team for a year, let's think, two seasons. So I spent about six months on the road. Gotcha. As a a U23. Yeah. Yeah. Near U23, I was on craft for – from June on, so.
0: Yeah, and, I mean, let's talk about U23 when you were on the road because, I mean – you made the podium that year in 2006 in the time trial and the crit. So, yeah. um I mean if you can remember those, can you just give us a snapshot of what those were like? I mean, those are so the crit is like or the 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 time trial is like, you know, grip it and rip it, just put your head down and then the crit's more of a somewhat tactical but then more top end. So being able to do well in both of those, like what did it take to do that?
1: Um it's funny, I would definitely say if I was good at anything on the road, it's time trialing. Like I kind of always had a knack for it from like the first time trial I ever did, I'd say. And even doing collegiate having to ride the time trial bike all the time for team time trials back in the day, that definitely helped with my time trialing ability. But then the crit, I just got in a break and then we had good numbers. So, (laughs) <laughs> just kind of how it played out.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Go ahead. I said it definitely wasn't a field sprint.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, that's the way you want it, right? If you can get in a breakaway, then your numbers go up versus, like, having it come down to a field sprint, and now all of a sudden, you know, you come to the line with 50 guys versus just yeah. being in a five-man break, increasing odds. But let me ask you this, uh, because I've thought this before. Coming from a running background, And that time trial, right? Because running is kind of one of those, like, you pin it and you go. And if you're running on the track or if you're on the cross-country course, it's kind of one of those, like, if I put my feet in front of the other faster than the guy next to me, I win. So you're just kind of going until somebody can't keep up anymore. And uh, I feel to a certain extent the time trial is kind of the same way. Would you agree?
1: Yeah, I feel like definitely the time trials. Like I said, some people have a mental block against it. I think the biggest thing for me was I was confident going into a time trial is where I would say, like, a lot of people don't like time trials. But for me personally, that would be my, like, favorite event on the road would be a time trial. It might be from the running background, but I'm not really certain that's why. But definitely it's, you know, you against the clock. There's no tactics. It's just kind of... It's not mindless because you gotta stay on it and keep on suffering and push through, but. Yeah, so why were you
0: confident going into those time trials? Like, what, where did that come from?
1: Like I said, I feel like it was just, I wouldn't say it was luck, but just the fact that I had a couple good time trials kinda out of nowhere. (laughs) Not even out of nowhere, but, uh, I just seemed to always excel at them, so. Yeah,
0: so maybe kind of a snowball effect where you have one good one, so then you're like, oh, all right, like exactly. I can do this, like I have yeah. a skill set here, and then it just kind of snowballs, and all of a sudden every time you every time you line up for a time trial, you're thinking, yeah, this will be like the last one, it's a good one.
1: Yeah, exactly, kind of like you said, a snowball effect or just a confidence, like where it keeps on building up each time you have them.
0: And if you're walking around the stage race and you're excited about the time trial, you're just straight up crazy to everybody else. You're crazy to the, you're crazy to the field sprinter. You're crazy to the guy that's a climber. Like they're all like, dude, I'm looking forward to this and that. And you're like, man, I'm really looking forward to the time trial. And they're like, dude, that guy's weird because time trials are like, you know, you cross a line and you throw up weird and nobody likes to do that. And so you've got this like bang your head against the wall kind of mentality. And I don't know. I mean, with all the success you've enjoyed in the mountain biking and the cyclocross, I think that some of that is, it's kind of a lot of the same. I mean, is it not like where you're just, it's just you against yourself out there a lot, is it not?
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think the time, like you said, it all kind of crosses a lot of, not really a solo effort because there are tactics, but definitely on the mountain bike, you're just out there. So like sometimes you're in groups, but some of the longer races are just out there suffering on your own. Just trying yeah. just trying to get to the finish. <laughs> 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 trying to be done.
0: <laughs> That's right. We're gonna jump into some mountain bike specific stuff in a second, but I do need to ask you uh about so Cyclocross Nationals uh seventh in, in two thousand and sixteen, what was that like?
1: That was Austin when they when they postponed our race <laughs> to Monday. Save
0: the trees, man. Save the trees.
1: Yeah, exactly. Save the trees. And it was good for me that they postponed it because I had actually been sick that whole week leading into it. So it gave me another day to kind of feel like myself. So that was good, though. I feel like I've had a lot of – I feel like maths I had one-fifth when I was younger in the elites, and then I've had a lot of seven, sevens and eights. I feel like it's my normal number.
2: I think there's so many races, but I think that one, didn't you get in a
1: crash right at the beginning? Yeah, I just got caught up in the crash, so I was kind of DFL off the start and just was picking guys off all day. But sometimes I feel like, at least for me, sometimes you have your best race when it's like that because all you're thinking of is moving forward the whole time you aren't really even you know each person you see you feel like you've caught so you should just be able to go around them and move up to the next person in the line or you know yeah
0: like all yeah like all of a sudden your process becomes just seeing how many people you can pick off yeah you know you're just like hyper focused you know and it's just like boom boom you just keep moving
1: yeah and like you feel like you know, you're like, I caught this guy. I should be able to go right around him. And then you, like you said, you just set your target on the next person. I've had good races like that (laughs) where like something goes wrong. And then it's just like, well, see, like make the most out of the situation.
0: Yeah. I've done plenty of interviews with people that have been highly successful like y'all. And that's just something that comes through that it's kind of one of those things. It's like, Mario, we've heard you say it too many times. It's like, all right, well, I'll just bring somebody on a podcast then, and they can tell you, I mean, (laughs) dealing with that, like dealing with obstacles and adversity, you know, it's like, okay, average Joe will get caught up in the crash and average Joe will be in last place and average Joe will, eh, we're going to try a little bit, but once I realize that I'm really not going to make, you know, the podium anymore or whatever, like I'm out. And, you know, professional Joe is like, hey, I'm off the back. But let's keep fighting. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? And you keep riding and all of a sudden it's like, boom, you're inside the top 10 and you have this performance that you can be proud of. Yeah. And that's how you build character and that's how you move on. So I'm getting ready to release here shortly a podcast with another Durangoite, I guess, uh, Payson McElvin. And yeah. like he talked about a race where it was kind of that, like he just had some really bad circumstances and just kind of kept fighting through and. Sometimes you get that superhuman, like boom. Like, you're just adrenaline's going more so than if you were like sitting nicely in the pack and you were holding your position and doing all those kinds of things. So, you just kind of never know. You paid to be there, you know, you're there. So, you might as well make the best of the experience, you know?
1: For sure. Like I said, I feel like half the time some of my best races are when I have some adversity going on in the beginning and it's kind of like, well, let's see what I can make out of it. <laughs>
0: yeah, for so. sure. And, you know, most of the other guys are probably dealing with something on their end as well, you know. And so it's just one of those, like, who's going to deal with it in the most efficient and positive way to be able to, you know, get back on track and get going again is, like, the huge thing. And I'm just thinking about, like, races where you guys got muddy bikes and you guys got mechanicals and you run into a rock and you, you know, bounce off a tree and whatever. I mean, there's just so much that can go on. I know that road cycling has its intricacies, but, but like when you're on trails and when you're in cyclocross and you're do, I mean, the weather and all that stuff, I mean, you talk about adversity. There's a lot that goes on there. So,
1: yeah, um, definitely one. I checked the weather at Tom <laughs> at cyclocross season and and, <laughs> and I want bad weather. So, I'm,
0: oh, you want the bat? You want the bad weather. Yeah. So
1: you're a bad weather race guy? Yeah. I want the bad weather.
0: So, ah, Ideal conditions for you then would be what?
1: Probably 35 to 40 with rain, so.
0: With rain, so that the course is just absolutely slick?
1: Yeah, like slick, but not too much of a tractor pull. But yeah. tractor pull's okay, too, as long as. Kind of <laughs> Those guys are really good at tractor pull. But-
0: <laughs> Let me ask you this then. Nationals, uh, was it this
1: year in cyclocross? Man, this year I actually didn't go. <laughs> I had an injury that I was dealing with in the fall, and I ended up calling it early. It was hard to do, but in hindsight, I think it was the right call. So. Yeah. And I will Would that... say it was really difficult to watch it and not be there. Yeah, I'm like, sure, man. I was only... it
0: your kind of day?
1: Yeah, even my brother told me he's like, D- you should just book a ticket and come out here. It's perfect. It doesn't matter if you haven't been riding. It's like totally just bike handling. It would be perfect. For you. <laughs> but uh yeah, I held back and stayed home. <laughs> but I was definitely thinking about it. I feel like Wednesday, Thursday, yeah. playing going out there. And it was definitely hard to watch, but it looked awesome. I would have loved that course, but.
0: Oh, my gosh. I watched it, and I was like, you know, guys coming in carrying bikes, dude, just parts all over the place. I'm like, man, it looked gnarly, man. It looked gnarly.
1: During cyclocross, I feel like the bikes definitely take a beating, and the mechanics definitely don't get enough credit for what they do, have the bikes working again, especially on, like, double weekends. or A few times we have three races in a weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And I feel like there's been once or twice Jingle Cross where it's just been like the bikes have gotten destroyed every day, and the fact that they still work by the end of the weekend is just a you know a testament to the mechanics being able to you know make everything work.
0: Yeah, for sure. I say this often: nobody achieves success alone. Yeah, we all need sure. we all need people that are supportive. We all need people that you know, down to making bikes work, to giving us an encouraging word, Right? you know, all of that fits.
1: So I think the saying is it takes a village.
0: That's right. It does take a village. You're absolutely right. Since you mentioned them, let me ask you this. When you race your brother, I mean, is that all gloves come off? Like this is for bragging rights. Y'all bother each other then via text or call each other like I beat you or whatever. I mean, how does that go down?
1: Well, I feel like the fact that we're eight and a half years apart eight years apart, I feel like I'm happy. I'm definitely, like, one of his biggest fans, and he's definitely one of my biggest fans. We definitely don't have that, like, clash, like this sibling clash. We definitely just want to see each other excel. Yeah. Which is different. Like, I know some people who are closer in age, Cricket and her brother will want to kill each other on anything, but me and Todd, (laughs) I feel like... Like we train together a bunch and we ride together. And in races when we're there, it's definitely like having another teammate in a group where we'll look out for each other or, you know, do whatever we can.
0: Yeah, that's interesting that you mentioned the age. I wonder if that does have if that does have something to do with it, you know, because now you guys have kind of come together in terms of you guys can line up at the same race because there's not like oh, no, he's, you know, he's in this age limit and he's in this age category. Like, so growing up, maybe you guys, since you guys are that far apart, like, you know, you're playing on one level and he's playing on another level. And so you guys didn't have that, oh, we're both on the same team in middle school, we're both on the same team in high school type of thing. Like, you guys were spaced out a little bit more.
1: Yeah, like, he definitely beat me up a bunch when I was a kid, but now... Like I said, we definitely get along. We're probably each other's best friends, so there's no like sibling rivalry at all. I would say
0: so. Man, that's good. I'm I'm glad to hear that, man. If you need to come over and talk to my kids, man, because I'm locked <laughs> up in the closet right now. Because I know they're probably out there just trying to gouge each other's eyeballs out, man. So, but they're they're only a couple years apart, so they're definitely maybe too close for comfort.
1: Yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> so,
0: but. Cricket, I want to talk to you a little bit about. So, you're coaching and you do some coaching and you've done some coaching for like just gymnastics because you know that well. And then you've done some stuff on the cycling end of things, mountain biking and just working with women and, you know, women's teams and stuff like that. And you also do some work with some skiing because obviously that's a big thing out there. You guys mentioned that. You guys like to go out and do the skiing thing. You don't let the cold weather get you. You just go, oh, this is a perfect opportunity for us to like enjoy the fact that there's like tons of snow out here and you guys go do something with that. But in your experience coaching, what would you say, like if you can draw up uh, an athlete having a certain mindset where you're like, okay, that athlete has a great mindset. I know that they're going to go far. What would you say would be some of the characteristics that they possess?
2: One thing, the first thing is they have to have very defined goals. And when I talk to different athletes, I really don't care what their goal is. If it's a national championship, if it's, um, you know, I'm cross-training for kayak season, it doesn't matter. But without a goal, there's really no reason to train or or coach. So I think if I look at an athlete, I, I definitely want them to be very goal focused they don't have to be as structured or as planning as I am but they definitely have to have a goal and they definitely have to have a great attitude because without that it's just going to be
1: frustrating and
2: probably disappointing if they really don't have that good attitude so I would say those are the two things that are most important
1: so they've definitely got to have
0: a target yes in terms of goals and then they definitely have to possess a good attitude like what do you mean by good attitude can you tease that out a little bit further
2: yeah, so you know they can't be like, oh, it's raining, we can't train. Or I didn't have the perfect day. And you're always gonna have things go well sometimes, and things go wrong other times. And so you really just have to kind of be grounded in re- in reality, and have a good work ethic, and just a good expectation of of life in general. You know, it's not gonna happen overnight. It might not happen ever. So having that reality, and just really having a good attitude to say, hey, I did the best I could, or hey, I'm not having the best day that I've ever had in my life, but I'm still going to show up and and get my work done.
0: So what you're saying is is that sometimes you get caught up in the crash early at nationals in your
1: laps,
0: (laughs) and you've got to work your way through that, right? And then sometimes, you know, it's sunny and uh, the weather's perfect, and you actually get to, like, have a really, really good time and enjoy the fact that even the weather's in your favor. So, yeah, I, I think that's that's been a common thread here throughout our conversation for sure, is just being able, to, uh, being able to possess those things and being able to overcome. I mean, and one of the things that I like that you said was when you have the goals, understanding that there really is no time frame. I mean, you both have gotten to be professionals, you know, in your sport, but I'm pretty sure that nobody walked up to you and said, hey, I just want to let you know that if you keep doing this for four years, like this is where you're going to be. You're going to ride for this team. You'll be going to these races. You'll be this level. You'll be able to do these things. I mean, it's you basically take it on principle. You take it on faith. It's like, I like to use the example of you kind of swipe a credit card and that means that you get to take the TV home. (laughs) But every month in the mail, that that statement comes in every month in the mail and you need to pay that statement. What does that mean? Eating right, sleeping right, training properly. If you don't, then, like, the repo man comes and he takes your TV, you know? And, and like, so it's the same thing. You just, you've got to be ultra patient because, uh I mean, I think you guys can attest to that. Like, it isn't an overnight, like, nobody's an overnight, it takes years of hard work to become an overnight success. That's one of the quotes that I like to kind of throw out there a lot. But, yeah, so, Troy, you've been doing this for, like, a really long time and you're still doing it, right?
1: Yeah, I know. I always had to do the math. <laughs> on how long I've been doing it, so.
0: Yeah, would you say you've done the older, wiser thing? How has your mindset changed, like, as you've gone from, you know, being a new pup to, like, now, you know, you've been doing this for a long time? You're, like, a seasoned veteran.
1: Yeah, I feel like now I definitely – I've kind of learned that everything, like, if you put the work in, then form will eventually come, like – Sometimes you'll have bad, like a bad month, but if you put the work in, you know eventually what you put in will come, like, will show, per se. Where when you're younger, you know, you train a bunch and you're like, oh, I did all this work and I'm still, like, I'm not where I want to be. <laughs> so I feel like just maybe with age you kind of, I don't even know the right term. Don't panic. Yeah, you You pretty much don't panic. And definitely with racing mountain and cyclocross, I've kind of learned that some seasons will go good and other. It's hard to put together a good mountain bike season and a good cyclocross season every year. So sometimes a mountain bike season won't be good, but then mentally I'll be like, well, cross season will be good or vice versa. So that's one thing that I feel like has come with time. All right.
0: So here we go. You know, every any time a guest on the on the podcast brings up a good point, I always like to reiterate it, especially because I envision somebody with earbuds in that's like under the age of, you know, 20 or something, just trying to make it big, trying to go pro. Listen to what he just said, folks. Like he's saying that he's been doing this long enough to the point where he's okay with having a bad month. That's 31 days in a row or 30 days in a row. Or if it's February, then it's 28 unless it's a leap year, but we won't go there. Right. So like that's a lot of days. And he says he can be patient knowing that that work will pay off when you're 14, 15, 16 years old. You have a bad training ride and you're crying. (laughs) You know, you have a bad training ride and you're going, man, I don't know if this is going to work. He's saying like even a month. One of the things that my coach tells me is, hey, listen, work is work. And effort's effort, and as long as 100% effort's being given, sometimes the metric, the result, the power, the whatever you want to base your your progress on, sometimes it's not there, but the underlying principle is that that effort is there. And I'm going to take it even a step further, and he talks about, because he does two disciplines, he does mountain and cyclocross, he's telling you that you can even maybe even be okay with having a subpar entire season, <laughs> Because of the fact that, like, this is such a grueling, hard thing to do to go mountain bike, cyclocross, so therefore, don't expect the miraculous run where you run through both of those seasons, you know, with your hair on fire. That's really wise if you don't get anything from this podcast, because he's been doing this long enough to where, like, yeah, like Cricket said, he doesn't panic. Like, he doesn't get flustered about stuff that really doesn't really matter in the end it's all about being steady it's all about putting the work and it's all about years of preparation so man that was a that was a great point uh Troy thanks for sharing that
1: although I do have to remind myself of it sometimes like I had a great block earlier this year and then I had about two to three weeks where I just felt terrible and it's just it is hard mentally when nothing's going your way
0: (laughs) oh absolutely I, I mean that's where the rubber meets the road is like you know, yeah you're right it it's really hard, we got to talk ourselves off the ledge for sure, you know, and be like, man, come on, you know, I mean, you've been doing this long enough, you know how this game goes, you know you get you know two weeks bad here, but hey, you know that you can't have too many of these, I mean, you know that at some point this thing kicks over into another gear, and you start feeling better, i mean it's just inevitable,
1: yeah um
0: like, so it, it's a it's a
1: cycle right for sure, and like you said it all it takes is one ride and then you're, you know, you're like, okay, I'm back.
0: So. You mentioned here that you guys watch golf. Do you guys play golf?
1: <laughs> Man, I, my, I love golf and yeah, I play a bit, but lately I've had to cut back on golf just from like a back, my back health standpoint. But, uh, yeah, I definitely love to play and it's amazing. Those guys are incredible. The pros. <laughs> Yeah. 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 If you ever play, then you can have full respect for how amazing those guys are.
0: I participate. I participate. I wouldn't say if people ask me if I play golf, I say, no, I participate in golf. But, you know, what I wanted to use was the story about golf. It's like you're out on the golf course and your day is just going terrible. And you just hit that one shot, man, with that iron. It just comes off the club. It's like and you're like, Okay, when are we coming back? You know, like I'm ready, I'm ready to play another 18. And it was just that one shot. And it's like, that's the way that it goes. It's, you keep in the process because all it takes is that one good experience. That's why we do it, you know, and that's what keeps us coming back is just that fun factor, you know? For sure.
2: Yeah, when I, Play. I try and have one good shot a hole. And I remember Troy going, one good shot a hole? You should have one for the whole time you're out there. Like, if you can have one, you're doing really well.
1: One really good <laughs> one shot. One really
2: good shot.
0: That's right. And if you only need one shot, that's even better, right? <laughs> yeah. That is better. <laughs> <laughs> Cricket, I got I to gotta ask you this. I don't think a lot of people are going to get this, but I don't care because I'm going to get it. And I hope he downloads at least this one because I know he doesn't listen to any of the other ones. <laughs> Tell me that you beat your brother, Lou, when you play golf with him.
2: Oh, goodness. He won't play with me. He just goes to the driving range. He's like, keep practicing. But I have beaten him quite a few times in other things, but everything's a competition. If it's we're headed to the pool or racing to the pool. I think the best thing I have on my brother, which is if he's listening to this, he'll remember, we were in high school, and he was referred to as my brother instead of me being his sister, and it was in some media uh it was actually a tv interview that i had done and uh, so that was my biggest one up i think on my brother who was one year older than me he had uh, he had to be referred to as my brother that's the ultimate man that's the ultimate blow
0: right there when uh when little sister becomes big sister you know that's it's back. like hey wait a minute but uh <laughs> awesome well, let's land the plane with a couple of fun stuff here. Not that we haven't had a great time already, but, uh, Troy, I gotta ask you, man. You're from New York and you're a Knicks fan. Yeah. Is that, does, <laughs> does that bring up some, does that bring up some bad, some bad juju there or what? It's pretty,
1: I would say I was a diehard Knicks fan as a kid, cause, like, I played basketball growing up and I was, like, a diehard Knicks fan when Ewing and Starks and all those guys kept on getting beat by Jordan. And then I feel like it kind of like leveled down when they were terrible in like the early 2000s. And then they got Carmelo and they were supposed to be good again. And they were actually on TV in Colorado where I could see them (laughs) because they were actually relevant again. So they were, you know, CBS, ABC, ESPN, TNT. And I actually started watching them again pretty much. If they were on, I was watching them and I was following how they were doing. And this season has just been a train wreck. Like, I feel like they refer to them as like the Kardashians of the NBA. They're like, oh, because they're that bad.
0: Yeah, yeah. So,
1: yeah hoping um, that they get it together. But, uh yeah, it's been rough.
0: When you look at the old Knicks, I'm right there with you. Uh, I think we're probably similar in age. And so let's see. Let's see if I can do this. John Starks, Patrick Ewing, Oakley. Charles, Charles Oakley. 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 Come on. Why am I blanking out now that I'm on the spot here? Mason, Anthony, uh, Houston. What was Houston's first name? Anthony Mason. Oakley. Yeah. And there's, there's more that I know I'm forgetting, but I think back then
1: those guys Doc had. Rivers was even on the Knicks back then.
0: Who was that? Doc Rivers. Doc Rivers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So like back then they were kind of like the modern day Detroit Pistons, you yeah. know, and they just had this bad boy attitude and they just had this like uh we're going to punch you in the mouth and we're going to see if you get up and if you do we'll just punch you again. And I feel like that was they they almost scared their opponents into being able to beat them. And I don't know, I just feel like I feel like the Knicks have lacked that here recently where they haven't really had that bad boy mentality, you know, when you think about New York, you're thinking about a rough place, you know, you're thinking about, you know, people just being crazy out there. And, you know, so they kind of upheld the city. What's that? Now they refer to them
1: as the Kardashians, the next.
0: Yeah, we don't want that, right? Uh,
1: But like, but, uh, but hopefully they'll figure it out.
2: Yeah, Yeah.
0: well, I'm a little heartbroken on my end because, uh, we just traded Dwayne Wade over to the Chicago Bulls. I felt like we should have kept him. I felt like we should have paid any amount of money to keep him there just because on principle, he was the face of the Miami Heat. But anyhow, I'm not, I'm not bitter or anything. You know, I mean, I'm good. Yeah. Like I said, I,
1: I don't know. I hope they get it figured out, but I definitely, like I said, I grew up with the 90s Knicks that were, like you said, Punch them in the mouth, see if they get up. Black shoes, all of them. Just definitely hardcore. Now, yeah, for not the same.
0: <laughs> Cricket. So you did some time in Texas before you got out to where you're at now in Colorado, and you became and it's, you're like a big time Cowboys fan.
2: Yeah, it started. Gosh, I was. I don't even know if I was five years old, but I remember my aunt and uncles would always heckle my brother and I. And finally, we decided we'd start cheering against the Packers. And I grew up in Wisconsin, and my grandfather had tickets to Lambeau. So my brother started cheering for the Cowboys, and I started cheering for the Cowboys. And that was back in the Landry years, So of course, they were amazing and stellar. And that really got to our aunts and uncles. We felt pretty good. We felt like we were we were winning and we, we got them. So it started at an early age. And then I just kept following them, And then when I moved to Texas, it was awesome. My brother would fly out and we'd go to every Thanksgiving Day game. But it's been been rough since the Jerry Jones era. A little little less rough this past year, but... (laughs)
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. I got to agree with you. And I'm going to go ahead. So I was going to mention, so my dad came over from Columbia. My dad was born in Columbia and he came over here. And when he got to the United States, we lived in Miami. That's where I grew up. And uh, Miami didn't have a football team. So, like, just to give you guys an idea, like, some of the people coming from, like, another country, it's like, oh, okay, well, Miami didn't have a team. I've got to pick a team. Oh, look, there's America's team. Yeah. <laughs> there's America's team. Like, this is great. So then he became a Cowboys fan, you know, and uh, and uh so he became a Cowboys fan until the Dolphins got a team, and now he's a Dolphins fan, as am I. But uh my uncle, his brother – Didn't do that. His brother stayed a Cowboys fan, and I went through a weird phase where – so I'm from Miami – I went through a weird phase where I was a Florida State Seminoles fan, even though I probably couldn't tell you where Tallahassee was, (laughs) and I was also a uh, San Francisco 49ers fan, and that one I can probably – you probably be a little bit more okay with Joe Montana, Steve Young, Jerry Rice, Ronnie Lott, you know, that whole crew out there. I just got mesmerized by him just like I was a Bulls fan at some point too. I'm going to throw this, and I don't know you're going to be able to come back from it. I went to, and you were probably there too, Cricket, maybe four or five years ago. You remember that Thanksgiving game where you guys played the Dolphins?
2: Yes, I was not there.
0: Oh, well, I was, and I enjoyed that game very much. <laughs>
2: Yeah, and when, oh, when things go wrong, I I pout. Like, don't even talk to me until Monday night or Tuesday night, depending when the game was.
1: I'm a Cowboys <laughs> fan by association now. Yeah.
2: Ah, oh, there, there you go.
1: Because it's not worth it when they lose to deal with her for the next like, 48 hours. Yeah,
2: like that bad attitude, I, I just give myself some morning time, but I give myself 24 hours to be mad, and then I get over it and move on.
0: There you go. I mean, don't worry, don't worry about it. I mean, I'm sure Sports Illustrated will predict you guys to win the Super Bowl again this
1: year, like they do
0: every year. So you got, you're good. You guys will start off the season on a high note. But anyhow, well, hey guys, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. I just, I really appreciate you guys being on here. And, uh, I mean, I just had a tremendous amount of fun doing this. And so yeah, we've got, uh, uh, guys, we can't leave yet. Uh, Troy, do you have some places where, cause Troy's got some races coming up. That he's going to be doing. So he's got some mountain bike races here that are coming up, and you know nationals and different things like that. And so Troy, in case people didn't know who you were, now they're like, oh, that guy seems pretty cool. Like let's let's follow that guy. Where can they go to get more information about you, or just flat out follow you and your adventures?
1: Instagram is probably the thing I update the most. And my name on Instagram is T D U B 2555 and then just on Facebook, Troy Wells, and then on Twitter, I think it's uh, PW dub 255 five. Awesome. Yeah.
0: Cool. And that's great. And then, Cricket, you've got an Instagram account, too, in case people want to see that cute puppy you guys <laughs> got, right? Riley. So where can they go to find some pictures of that cute puppy? Riley's
1: guy? totally taking over her Instagram yeah, it's really Riley's
2: Instagram now. I now I even put her name in the in the title and she has a hashtag. So she's hashtag Riley Wells. My Instagram is Cricket Lewis and it, it used to be beautiful photos of all the trails we ride and places we go hike and camp and ski. Oh, but now it's kind of like Riley in the mountains.
0: <laughs> there you go. Well, here's the thing. You guys can happily retire with no worries about finances. If you guys can figure out how to get Riley to actually post herself <laughs> and take selfies. That would be you guys would be making some major money there. But
1: uh She's a boy, so. probably she can figure it out.
0: Yeah. Pro you're right, probably. Man, they are smart. They are <laughs> smart as all get out sure. for sure. So but anyhow, well hey, thank you guys so much once again and I really appreciate it. And uh yeah, we'll uh, we'll look forward to chatting with you
2: guys again soon. Sounds good. Thanks Mario. All right, y'all take care. Good to see you.